Welcome to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back to another week of Don't Box Me In. You know, September is National Brain Aneurysm Month, and today we're going to do our small part to spread awareness on this issue. A brain aneurysm is an abnormal bulge or ballooning in a blood vessel that supplies uh, blood to your brain. Aneurysms can rupture and cause uh, bleeding into your brain. They occur at any age, although they are more common in adults. And the onset of bleeding usually comes without any warning at all. My guest today is a survivor of this medical condition. Along with his wife, he is the best-selling author of 15 books and co-founder of the Angel Animals Network. It is with much pleasure that I welcome survivor and pet owner Alan Anderson to the show today. Alan, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, thank you, Alana, for having me on your show. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Now, uh, first of all, Alan... Uh, let me just say that I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Uh, you're one of the lucky ones in regards to this position, uh, this condition. Most people walk around uh, not even knowing that they have an aneurysm. So, you know, I'm just, just happy to be here sharing space and time with you. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And you're absolutely right. I am one of the lucky ones. I was really shocked when I learned that over 6 million people in the United States have a unruptured brain aneurysm. And that's like 1 in 50 people in this country. That that is amazing. I mean, you're just you know just oblivious to the whole thing, and and it's so potentially uh, dangerous. Now, let me let me ask you this: Were you you feeling kind of sick or anything before um, they found out you had an aneurysm? You know, uh, the reason why I got a checkup was because I was having dizzy spells to the point where I was really having some problems. I thought it was an inner ear infection. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor, you know, I got an examination and it wasn't that. So just to make, you know, to be safe, he went and sent me to uh, another doctor that gave uh, the uh, appropriate uh, uh, x-rays of the brain. And mm-hmm. uh, that's when they found it. But they said the dizziness had nothing to do with that. It was it was just a lucky, lucky thing that uh, the, my uh, main uh, physician uh, recommended that I have this particular uh, test to, just, to, just to make sure, even though they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, it had nothing to do with that, but they did it. Anyway. So I was very fortunate. Wow. So, you know, you, you're having some dizzy spells, and you just happen to go to the doctor to, um, you know, get tested for some things and find this out. So how soon after they say, hey, you know, you've got this going on, are you you going in for surgery? Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when you're, when you're married, I guess you never just happen to go. You're actually mm-hmm. told to go, but you, <laughs> you will go and see the doctor. And that was pretty much the, uh, the rule of the day. So I, I was actually planning just to, you know, deal with it and keep on going, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was pretty bad, some of the dizzy spells. So it, it was something on a level that maybe I don't understand that was letting me know that I needed to get a really thorough checkup. So I did go to the doctor, and you know, the whole thing was kind of interesting in the whole process of learning about this. I went to the doctor, and I went to the appropriate doctors and got them. Got you. And um, when I did, um, it all stopped. All the dizziness stopped. The moment I got the x-ray and the moment the testing was done, all the dizziness stopped. So I basically thought, well, there was nothing to it. And then just about a week later, I got a call from the uh, the doctor who did the x-rays and said that... Uh, 
I have something to tell you. I was in my office at the time. I was working uh, that day. I was uh, in the phone rang, and I answered it, and I thought, well, that was nice that he's calling, and he's just going to sort of tell me that, you know, everything's okay and just want to let you know. But instead he says, uh, you have an unruptured brain aneurysm. And the only thing I can think of was I asked him the question, well, where is it? And then he, mm. <laughs> he said, in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he had me touch my forehead with my finger. It's about an inch beneath your forehead uh, uh, in, uh, in that particular artery, and uh, in, uh, it needs to be taken care of. It's a very serious situation. You need to have it taken care of. Well, I was really devastated. I was. Wow. Just, it was just beyond belief because I've always been healthy. My life, you know, just basically I did what I wanted to physically in pretty good health and, and didn't have anything serious going on. And I had to go into the hallway for a little while just to think about this because this, you know, brought back all of my my traumas from the past. My father had a, a major stroke when he was young, and he had, was dis, you know, basically a, a disabled individual always needing help from others after that. And I was mm. always independent and never wanted to be in that position. So all this fear was coming to me. I had met in my previous work uh, people who had uh, brain damage, and they and, and they just, you know, I'm not saying that people can't live fulfilling lives if they did have mm. A ruptured aneurysm or other brain damage, and they do. But for me personally, it was like the most thing, the most incredible thing to fear to live a life mm-hmm. dependent upon others. And I, uh, I just, I just really had sort of an emotional reaction breakdown, whatever you want to call it, in that in those uh, maybe that thirty minute period after the phone call. Wow! <laughs> so I went Amazing. back to the office. I went back to the office. I said, "I'm going to take an extended lunch." So I went to my office, closed and started <laughs> doing research. And the Internet, of course, brings you all the stuff that you really don't want to know, all the terrible things, all the stuff of even successful surgeries on what happens to folks that have to uh, deal with this problem. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if I had this reaction, I could only imagine what my wife's reaction would be, because even though it's probably not completely true, I always view her as someone that would cry and, and become emotional over things and She's actually a strong person, been through a lot herself, but she definitely, I thought she would really have a reaction if my reaction was as deep as it was. Uh-huh. It's probably, oh, yeah. probably one of the, the quiet reasons why you married her, her quiet strength there. Absolutely. That's absolutely, <laughs> you know, you, you nailed it right there. <laughs> uh, well, I thought to myself, you know, what do men do and what do women do in these situations? Well, um, a fella thinks to himself, you know, what would Spock do? You know, this is <laughs> logic <laughs> and reason can take hold of this instead of all the emotions. So I went that route and I decided I was going to make a nice little fact sheet of all the different things that goes on. It maybe even one pager with a, an overview and some options and then some, you know, some basically uh, success stories at the bottom with URLs. So I went ahead and that for a couple hours I worked on a, a wonderful document, a fact sheet that I would hand my wife that evening so she could understand that we are sort of going on a new route here with my brain not kind of broken, I guess the word. Mm-hmm. So it was a beautiful, beautiful fact sheet. I loved it. It was so perfect. It had everything on there. You know, and um, so I, t- I took it home that evening, and I, I gave it to my wife. She sat down and read it, and these are the exact words she told me. She says, you have an unruptured brain aneurysm. You're going to have brain surgery, and you gave me a memo... Uh, (laughs) Oh, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought she would just gently be introduced to the concept and the idea without necessarily going all the way to the extreme of understanding what it was immediately. Because I use oh. words like procedures and other nice neutral terms instead of open brain surgery. But uh, she definitely uh, saw it for what it was. Oh, I was wow. about to tell her I didn't want to tell her at all because I was going to try to get her to do a trip to her parents' house in Texas for for a couple of weeks while I... Um, well, I took care of it. But then as I was talking, I looked at her face and I thought to myself, I better be quiet. So I <laughs> reached out my hand and I held hands and, she's, and he, she and I had some, you know, really honest talk about what was at stake and what the next steps were because we just had released another one, one of our books and uh, it was a big one with a lot of interviews and things. So this would all be uh, something that, that would be, have to be in the, in the, in the mix now and we were trying mm-hmm. to figure out ways of achieving it even though there was a fear, too, of, you know, of the consequences of brain surgery. And my, my, my fear of being, you know, less than I am was at that point, and with that less, may not be able to do the things I like to do, which is writing, which is the work I do during the day, and all the other things that, that for me, makes life kind of special. I, I was really afraid at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, though. I mean, you, you prepared this fact sheet, so you must have found out some things. But also in your consultations with your doctor, um, what what kinds of uh, potential consequences did the uh, doctors tell you could happen from the surgery? Well, the most severe, and this is, you know, I don't want to be blunt, but the most severe is this death. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, you know when they're going in there, they're they're and this is and I don't want to be graphic either, but they're peeling back some of the material to get to where the aneurysm or the bubble is, and they're trying to clip it. But sometimes these these things don't clip as well as they could, and sometimes it breaks, and sometimes the the wall is so thin that there's op- there's problems there. Um, so there, and then of course, if it was a completely successful surgery, which mine was, there's also headaches and all sorts of things that happen afterwards that uh, that take time to um, to uh, kind of uh, heal and become you become a little different because of those uh, severe headaches and the synapses all the the, uh, the connections in the brain are now a little mess, mess, messed up and we <laughs> we have to kind of rebuild that and learn to focus more than we were able to after right after surgery you know mm-hmm. the ability to focus and the ability to uh, to, to think in a logical ma- manner because of the, uh, you know, the disruptions of some of those synapses in the brain during the surgery. Got you. Now, um, you mentioned clipping. I, I read that there's two different um, treatment options when it comes to brain aneurysms. One is clipping and one is coiling. Um, do, are you, can you explain the difference? Because I know I think I'm hearing that you had the clipping surgery. Yeah. You know, when we went to the doctor, he actually, he was, uh, he read his section of the book and he said it and he, he was really kind of happy about it but I wanted to tell you a story that was in the, in the, the book I wrote about this and he uh, his, his name is Dr. Nussbaum and he really is the best probably in the, in the uh, Midwest if not the nation when it comes to clipping because he does it all the time that's his specialty when it comes to the brains and how to uh, to make them to fix them if they're broken or if there's uh, blood bubbles and they need to be clipped well, we went to him with the x-ray so he can, you know, do an evaluation. And, uh, you know, we went to his room, and I'd never met him before. Uh, and there was this big, beautiful chart of a, of a nice aneurysm, all perfect, with a nice neck to it, which, mm-hmm. which means it could be easily clipped. And that's the one thing I had wanted to do. 
And uh, because I thought if it had to be surgery, I wanted something that was really good. And, the, you know, the initial x-rays were kind of blurry and uh, just a big blob there. So I wasn't sure what it would be and how he could be able to fix it. Well, the, the, the poster on the wall was just really well done, well, well, very nice graphics. He walked in the room, and both of my wife and I were just surprised. In a, in a gentle way, but also kind of surprised because when he walked in, I, I saw Linda mouthing something when he turned his back to look at the uh, x-ray, and um, I couldn't understand her. She later told me the first thought she had was Doogie Hauser. <laughs> so he was a young kid then, huh? He was so young, and I, I, you know, I was looking at him, and I, I looked at his hands, and they were so young hands. I thought, well, at least they're not older hands that might be a little shaky when he's doing his work. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he didn't, I mean, he actually, uh, he, he, he was older than he appeared. In other words, he, he you know, he had, he had family and everything, but he just looked so incredibly young with the, you know, the no wrinkles. His face was completely, you know, like a child's face. But he, he looked at the x-ray and he said, uh, um, just, you know, we'll get more, more tests made to make sure this is the course we're going to take. But he said that uh, it looked like a big, blob and there was no neck and I asked him if he could clip that sort of thing he said I could clip anything so with that I felt quite comfortable with his ability to do whatever it took to make sure that everything was fixed after surgery yeah I, I guess that's kind of the uh the twofold uh, catch twenty two you want when you go into the doctor's office you want somebody young and I mean you know steady hands or whatever but then you want somebody with some experience so you know I guess that is kind of the shocker there. <laughs> oh, it was so funny, but um, I don't know. I think he might get that some because he does look so young from other people. But we were we were definitely in shock. Never had met him before. He has a book on the su- subject on in Barnes and Noble and on, at the libraries and. Online, he, he also has written many papers, so he's very well respected uh, nationwide on this particular way of dealing with uh, brain aneurysm. Gotcha. Good, good deal. Good, you got a good, good doctor there with a lot of experience. Well, Alan, we're going to take a quick break, so stay with me. I'll be right back. We're going to talk more right after this break. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm speaking with author and uh, brain aneurysm survivor, Alan Anderson. And uh, before the uh, break, we were talking about uh, his surgery. Um, Now, Alan, I wanted to ask you... um, like post recovery after you have your surgery and everything, um, what was that process like? Are you down for a long time, or? Well, it really depends on the person uh, and and how healthy they were prior to surgery. Before, in order to have the time it takes to heal, I always recommend, from my experience, to take as long as time as possible. But in my situation, my uh, my sick days and my off days were becoming more and more limited, so I wasn't able to take as long as I could from my mm-hmm. my day job, which is uh, uh, doing uh, computer implementation and training and, and basically traveling a lot for that type of work. So I was back in the office about the third week afterwards, but it was way too early, and they gave me a mm-hmm. little bit of leeway on on, on taking taking the. Uh, 
you know, not not overdoing and doing some of the work and not traveling as much. So it worked out really well. But I would suggest 10 weeks, if not longer. Whatever the doctor recommends is probably important to follow that recommendation, even if it means, uh, uh, if it's possible, a reduction in uh, income for a number of weeks so you can really recover, totally recover, and get back to your normal life after a surgery, even a successful surgery, and there was no actual bleeding. Gotcha. But, yeah, the, now, the headache... Uh, the headaches continued. The stress, uh, bright light always bothered your eyes. There's a lot of, a lot of healing to be done. Right after surgery, I reached up and touched my head, and because of the shrinkage and swelling of the brain during and after surgery, it, it actually had a hollow effect. It was there was a, mm. it was the strangest thing. As the, there's an echo in there now. That's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, anybody home? Hello, hello. <laughs> Now a little bit a little bit off topic because you did say you mentioned um, you had sick time or whatever. Um, you you've had some other life changes besides this. You were before you became the software tech. You were a police officer. Yes, I, I did police work in uh, Atlanta for eight years, uh, and uh, I you know I, I I got a degree in journalism initially, and I was going to you know go into that type of uh, work. But I had a, and it was actually television type of work with uh, doing weather and things because I had, that was my specialty. And then I had a, uh, a motorcycle accident and it looked like Frankenstein for a while. So I had, mm-hmm. I had to use that to my advantage. I thought, well, maybe I can get more story ideas if I do police work. Plus, people will pay more attention to me if I look like Frankenstein, so there won't be <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I use that, but actually, I actually enjoyed it. When I got into it, I saw so many opportunities to help people when they really, really were in need of someone to help, especially in the uh, sort of the badder areas of uh, of uh, Atlanta, and so many domestics and so much drug activity and all the things going on. Um, it really was an opportunity for me to get in there and and help people and work with work in ways that I knew that my being there made a difference for the better, especially families and other situations in projects where they were always having issues with drugs and uh, and violence and other things that uh, just made living there very, very hard on people. Okay, understood. Now, you segued from the police officer to the software. Um, was it because of something in particular? Or? Well, no, actually, I had uh, I, there was one call I went on, and I've always wanted to be a writer. I always worked towards the idea of novels and fiction, but I was on one call, and there was a, a family, a dispute, two, uh, a man and a woman really fighting there in their apartment. There's a little boy on the couch, and he had this little mixed-breed dog next to him, sort of a medium-sized dog, it, uh, and licking his tears. And mm. I, I looked at this family, and I saw all this commotion, and all this anger, and all this fighting, and the only individual that had any sanity was the dog, <laughs> giving <laughs> comfort. And uh, I calmed things down and did all the appropriate things to make sure no one was going to get hurt. And and uh, but it, I, I took a snapshot of that. And I left that apartment that evening knowing that that's one thing I really wanted to write about. I wanted to write about the spiritual and emotional and mental and all the deep experiences and bonds that people have with their pets and with animals in nature. I wanted the world to know how important it is to have that support system in your life. Whether it be a pet or whether it just be a walk down a trail and enjoying the, the, the birds and the wildlife as you as you relax and, and let go of your daily troubles, I really wanted to do that. And so that was my goal. And after I left um, that, 
that apartment. I stayed with police work for a number of years, and then my wife and I moved to uh, uh, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis area. And you know, this is a perfect place for this type of writing. And people, people really, really liked uh, what the concept was. We were we were decided to we walked around Lake. This is like in 1996. <laughs> walked around local Lake. Mm-hmm. With our dog Taylor at the time, she was a yellow lab, and she had this grin on her face. It just looked so happy because every time she walked, she was just as happy as she could be. And people would walk by us, and they would look at her and say, do you know your dog is smiling? And no matter what, even if they were having a bad hair day, they would smile and they would be uplifted just a little bit because of the joy that was expressed through that puppy, not well, that dog, <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> so Linda and I decided, well, we're going to go ahead and just, jump into this. I know we have to work and do all the things that we have to do for our, our bill-paying uh, obligations and everything else, but we can certainly begin this process. So we, I went ahead and came up with some basic questions. Has your pet shown you higher qualities and given you ways of, of expressing your higher qualities like unconditional love or empathy for others or courage or all the things that make us better people? And I put these out in simple questions on poster. You know, back then there wasn't so much the Internet as there is now, even though there was some, on coffee uh, places where their bulletin boards were, on the grocery store bulletin boards, and gave them information on how to send us if they wanted to share a story about uh, their experiences on becoming better human beings, more spiritual, more uplifting people as they, because of the relationship they have with their pets or what their pets have shown them. And... And, the, and some of the news groups on the Internet at that point, within about 30 days, we had hundreds of stories. Mm. It, it, hundreds of stories. People, we've never been asked that before. It always was training back then. Mm-hmm. And, and it was always training tips on how to keep your dog from doing terrible things to your carpet. I don't, what, <laughs> but, <laughs> but this was the first time they, they were asked this question. And we got the loveliest, most beautiful stories. And, and with that, we started a printed newsletter and and um, sharing those stories every other month. And it, people were subscribing. Even I had a U.K. office because people in England loved it so much. And um, and then with that, we got an agent and a, and a publisher wanted to publish our first book, Angel Animals, exploring our spiritual connection with animals. And Willard Scott, of all people, got a hold mm-hmm. of it and got on the Today Show and held it up and said, this is a really good book. Ah, <laughs> uh, Willard Scott. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> So that's how we got our start, and we've been we've been working on these books for for a long time now. <laughs> uh, cool the, stuff. The newest one is called Leaf, a dog named Leaf. He uh, he was the one that helped me through this crisis, and I wrote all about all the help he gave me and all the things that we did as a team to get through it together. Yeah, and I was gonna um, uh, I wanted to know more about uh, Leaf because he, he kind of helped you before and after in your recovery from your aneurysm. Um, how is it that you and Leaf ended up crossing paths? Well, we, we went to the shelter, and um, we, uh, Linda and I, and mm-hmm. we were looking for another pet because Taylor had passed about six months earlier, and, you know, she was just the most beautiful friend, and everything about her was just, just love. But uh, when you lose someone, an individual, a pet, a uh, Anybody that that's important to you, there's a loss that that makes the world a little grayer and it's hard. So we were, we went to the shelter to t- just take a look. Of course, you always say that. <laughs> <laughs> and we found this uh, found leaf in the in one of the kennels, and he he looked like a 
because he's all black, he's a cocker spaniel, and they just gave him a nice, cute haircut. He looked like a piece of carpet laid on the on the floor. <laughs> They're all spread out. And then we, we, we slowly got to know him. We took him to a little room with a volunteer, and and he was distant. He didn't know if he trusted us. He had been abandoned. Mm. Someone had dumped him at the back door with another dog, and and uh, mm. he was just he looked like he was shattered. He was very, very sad about what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we did decide after coming home and talking to our cats and our birds that we would be, <laughs> be okay with them if we mm-hmm. adopted Leaf. And, of course, we probably read them the wrong way because they all said yes and um, <laughs> back and got him and brought him home, uh, walked him around the lake. He was, he was initially named Harley because he was brought in on Harley Davidson, but we named him Leaf because he likes to chase and run and play in the leaves. Mm. Uh, well, he turned out to be a total wreck in so many oh. ways. He was howling at night. He couldn't sleep. He didn't like to be touched. He was a complete wreck. And I told him, I, you know, we got we we would go in my room at night after I take him out at one, two, <laughs> three in the morning, trying to get him trained properly to go outside and go to the bathroom out there. Um, no matter what, he was. This is going to be his home. He wasn't going to be abandoned again. And I would hold him on my chest and let him listen to my heart in my comfortable chair in the office because we, if I was late in bed and he wasn't near someone, he would just howl and be fearful. And um, he would just begin to sleep and snore, and I would do that. It was on and on. I was sleep-deprived. And then, you know, but I was going to make sure that he knew that he was loved and he would never have to go, you know, away or do anything other than stay in his home and be be as part of our family. And he slowly, slowly began understanding. It took him a little time. And then about... Mm. Two months after we first adopted him, with me still sleep-deprived and still working with him, this is when the call came in from the doctor about having a brain aneurysm. <laughs> wow. Two months, huh? So yeah. when you when you found out about the brain aneurysm, was Leaf starting to get a little better in the household? He was. He was getting, he was getting better all the time. He was getting used to things. He was still fearful and really cringed if you touched him, but he began relaxing more and letting people, especially me and, and uh, Linda, pet him and touch him and and he was he was getting better it's a slow process but he was beginning to trust and see that see that all is going to all was going to be okay um one interesting thing now this is this is uh something that uh happened during the process now this is kind of mystical but you know over half americans believe that they had either a mystical or a spiritual experience mm-hmm. of some kind in their lives so i don't think i'm talking to an audience that you know many of them don't understand but mm-hmm. uh, the um I was, uh, this is right after, now this whole process is very interesting because during the test prior to the brain surgery, they had to do a uh, angiogram and, and there was a needle that went in, the, in the, the groin area of my body in order to mm-hmm. the medicine up and see the brain in a more clear fashion, not so blurry. But that area became a bump and I went in and I had it looked at because I thought there was something wrong that it was, mm-hmm. there was a bump there. And they looked at it, and they found a massive blood clot just ready to break and go right to my heart. <laughs> wow. So I've got two major medical things. It was just like, what is going on? And then they had to put, put you know, a procedure where there was a, a metal umbrella keeping it in place because they couldn't give me the uh, blood clot uh, medication that would dissolve it because, of course, with surgery, you don't want anything that would make yeah. it even further. So all that was done, but I had a massive, a really awful dream. I went to bed one night, and I was thinking, God, you know, what is going on here? But the dream 
And this is when Leif and I really started understanding, and I understood that he was going to be there for me because he was trying so much to be there. In the mm. team, there was this massive number of people going into this giant structure, and a lot of them I knew. They were family friends. A lot of them I only met as acquaintances. Many of them I didn't know. But they were all going in there, and I was standing at the sidelines. I saw my wife. I saw our friends and family members. And they were all rushing into this massive building, and I learned it was called the Building of Life. And this building mm. is where people would be able to have all their experiences in life. They would be able to see the forest and the lakes and the oceans and the libraries and the buildings and love and family. Everything that was experiencing in life was represented by that building and what was inside of it. And everyone in line had a ticket hmm. to go in. And I looked down at my hand in the dream, and it was so real, I didn't have a ticket. Hmm. So I tried to push my way in, and they all looked at me and said, you're not one of us. They kind of pushed me out. You don't have a ticket. You're not one of us anymore. And I was wow. totally devastated. And I woke, wow. up, I woke up, and I was sweating. And I was just it, it was just devastating to know that in some way maybe my subconscious or something was going on where it was allowing me to understand that I might not make it. Mm. Or maybe it just wasn't your time. Exactly. Maybe it wasn't your time. Well, Alan, it's time for our next break. Hold on to that story. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, welcome back. I'm with Alan Anderson today, and we were talking about, uh, starting to talk about how our pets help us get through uh, some of the uh, struggles uh, that we have in life, and I've always been a firm believer of that. Now, Alan, you were telling us about uh, a dream that you were having, and I, I was saying, well, maybe it was telling you that it wasn't your time. Um, at this point, you know, you, you have your diagnosis, you got a, you've got a dog that's kind of going through some changes, giving you some problems, but he's starting to come around. I'm wondering, how is it that Leaf helped you be, before surgery, you know, kind of give you comfort, keep your head clear? I mean, was he at that stage in his recovery to start helping you? Yes, it was surprising, too. Uh, just to finish the dream thing, because this, uh, Leaf was an integral part of that, he jumped mm-hmm. on the bed and comforted me. He never did that before. I was able to pet him. He wasn't uh, backing off. He didn't do all the things with his little growl or anything. He was actually just there for me. And I got up that morning and I told Linda at breakfast about the dream, even though I hesitated telling her because I didn't. I wanted her to be prepared if there was anything that was going to happen that we, you know, that we needed to be to start getting prepared for. Leaf was laying there on the floor listening to every word I was saying. <laughs> I held up my hand, and it was empty hand. There was no paper in it. I had a strong visual. Well, later that morning, he did something he had never done before. He went to the table with his paw, pushed the papers off the table, started ripping them up in his mouth and bringing them over to me for me to take from him. Mm. He was trying to give me my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take it because I didn't think about it. He dropped them on the floor. And he went back and brought some more papers. Anything because I was so had such a reaction to that dream. I think he just picked up on whatever dogs pick up on. I noticed that uh, in some of the studies on dogs, the University of Western Ontario said that dogs are extremely good at figuring out what people need. And there's another college, Goldsmith Research, 
says, the empathy suggests dogs constantly attempt to comfort their owners who are in distress. So you're thinking in terms of who is this individual called Leaf that will pick up on anything and everything that might bring comfort to me, including something that he only heard or was visualizing or seeing as I was describing in the morning uh, coffee when I was talking to Linda about it. I, mm. I love that. He's, he the animals are more perceptive. Yeah, animals are more perceptive than we give them credit for. They sure are. Yeah, and he was there for me in so many different ways throughout the whole process. And, you know, we would, we would, I was still, there was, there was a little bit of time before the actual surgery because of the testing and everything. So I was still taking him to dog park and doing things with him to allow him to exercise. And, and just, uh, we were just bonding deeper and deeper. And, and he knew that, uh, and I knew for about a shadow of a doubt that he was there for me every step of the way. Good stuff. Now, after surgery, uh, do you have any examples of how Leaf was there to help you kind of recover and get back on track? Yeah, there was one really dynamic thing that happened. I was in the car, and I was taking him from daycare, and I had just gone through a whole bunch of things with uh, another a procedure related to the uh, the uh, blood clot, and I went to pick him up at daycare because at that time I thought we, I just didn't know that I would have to do this, and my wife was uh, out of town for a couple of days and wasn't able to get back to assist, so... After the procedure at the hospital, I went to daycare before it closed and picked him up, and I got him in the car, and we were going to go home. And he was in the back seat, and there was this white van ahead of me as I was driving. And the white van was so bright, the, the sunlight was uh, shining against it. My eyes and my head still hurt from the, the surgery, the brain surgery earlier. And that, uh, that month or, yeah, about six months, six weeks earlier. And uh, I just went into a panic and I started yelling because the, the van in front of me stopped and just and I had pushed the brakes on really tight and I just got so angry at everything that I had gone through well, mm. this, little, this little puppy who's afraid of men who's, who's afraid jumped into the front seat and started mm-hmm. licking my face with such <laughs> love and such tension that I bro- it broke it. I broke the anger, and I looked at him, and he was just so sweet. And so he was 100% there no matter how big and strong and angry I had become at that moment. <laughs> he was going to do whatever it took to give me whatever comfort and whatever love that he knew that I needed at that moment. So we, <laughs> I got calmed down. <laughs> and he occasionally, he was standing in the front seat the entire way home, and, he occasionally, and the, the van was just stopping at a stoplight. It wasn't a big deal. I was so embarrassed. I would lose it over something as silly as a van stopping. But he would lick me once in a while. We got home and I gave him a lot of treats, and we both and I took some some <laughs> pain medication and, we, and had a big. We both ate and we both had it. Took a long, long, long nap. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say Leaf is Alan's dog or Linda's dog? You know, it's interesting. He he really is both of our dogs because he's giving. Linda, the same love and attention that he gave he gives me, and um, which is surprising. Usually, you know, they get hooked to one person, but for this situation, I think um, he uh, shares it equally. Okay, okay. And Leaf is still with you guys today, right? Yeah, he is. He's 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 just, he's great. He's about eight years old now, and we we're having a blast. We we go to have a really good time at dog park, and he's. You know, I just love hearing him snore when he's sleeping. So <laughs> <laughs> now, um, moving on to uh, your website, 
angelanimals.net. You have quite a few books that you've written about how animals enhance people's lives, and you shared with us some of the ways that Leaf has um, helped you out through your situation. Uh, what other ways, or, or why do you feel animals are such uh, a connection to human beings? You know, I, I, you know this, I'm sure, but we are living in a world where everything seems to be so urban. We're just isolating ourselves from what would a natural, normally would be a natural part of our lives, and that is our connection with animals, with wildlife, with nature. And maybe the only thing that there is in a home, a family member, a dog, a cat, a bird, where you finally have a connection outside of your work and your bills, mm-hmm. kids you're raising, all the other things that you're doing, is maybe that one little animal. And with that, you have a more complete life. I have to say that people, if they're able to have a pet, a family member as part of their lives, their lives are so much more richer than they would be without. And if you're unable to have a pet because of where you live, why not go to the animal shelter or to a sanctuary and, and, and volunteer? Help the animals that are there. Get your, get your animal fixed once a week or twice a week by volunteering and just giving a little bit of your time and those puppies and dogs and cats and all the other animals that are waiting for adoption would love to see you anytime you come to visit. <laughs> true, true. I mean, there's so much research um, out there about how pets, you know, extend your lifespan, you know, lower stress. Um, you know, me personally, I've never really understood how people could not be a pet owner. There's just so many benefits to having them, you know, around in the household. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is. The, the physical health benefits alone, but the mental health benefits also help to really let people know that it's important. They lower breath pressure. I mean, recent studies at the State University of New York found that hypertension, those who adopt a cat or dog, had lower blood pressure readings in stressful situations than those who did not adopt a pet. And uh, they help reduce stress in the daily life. They've, there's actually an article, a recent one in the New York Times, about preventing heart disease. Because mm-hmm. people with faithful companionship, the research shows that their owners with greater psychological stability, such a method also is a, a measure of the protection from heart disease. It's interesting, these, these studies where they have two groups and, uh, and, and what a drastic difference there is with those who have pets and those who don't. True, true. And, you know, um, like you said, with your, your website, and you called it Angels, Animals. I mean, you could almost say, you know, having a pet in our lives, they are like angels. Um, I, I just like I said, you know, I cannot stress enough. I don't understand why people would not even consider, you know, even if it's a rabbit or something. Just they bring so much to your life. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And it's, it's special, even though it's work and it takes time like a leaf. It took a long time, you know, to to get him into a good state of mind and knowing that he's safe and he's loved. And uh, it, it is well worth it because they give so much back in so many ways, so many different ways that we can't even measure sometimes the amount of love and support and, and, uh, and joy and fun that they bring to your life. And you, you, you brought up another thing. You got leave from the shelter, and that's one thing that I always try to stress um, to people is if you're going to consider getting a pet, you know, check into the shelters first because there's so many animals looking for a loving home. Um, do you recommend that, or do you say tell people to go to, like, breeders and get their dogs or cats or whatever? Well, I, I, I think I recommend shelters, even though there might be some legitimate and good breeders out there. The shelters, when you, when you adopt a shelter dog, 
or you adopt a dog that's been rescued and you, uh, you're going to bring him into your home, they know that they could have gone a different direction. There is so much love and appreciation. They will, they will do anything because they know that you chose them and you brought them to your home and you, you basically have given your home and your, your, your time and your love to that one individual animal and that appreciation, that gratitude will be with that animal the rest of their life. Got you. Well, Alan, we're going to take our very last break of the day, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some uh, insight and inspiration you have for the audience. Stay tuned. You're listening to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's Lana Reed. Hello, welcome back. I am with Alan Anderson today, and we've been talking about pets, brain aneurysms. Now, Alan, I wanted to ask you, um, in retrospect, uh, we're here where we're at today. Uh, what What is the biggest lesson that you've learned about um, going through this whole brain aneurysm process? That's a beautiful question. I appreciate you asking that. You know, uh, I was going through life, and I was sort of going through each day and doing what I was supposed to be doing and not recognizing often the beauty around me and the love and cherishing those moments where I could just sit and relax and enjoy living. And after going through this, it occurred to me, and it will occur to others if they, when they go through challenging times, that no matter what, life is really a precious, precious uh, thing thing to go through it's, it's filled with all the emotions and all the love and all the hope and all the people you will ever meet and all the animals that you will ever cherish and why not take advantage of it to the fullest why just go through it sort of sleepwalking taking care of the bills doing the things you're supposed to do and and not go and have a full life 100% life as best you can no matter what limitations we might have just do what you want and enjoy and cherish each and every moment because once you realize it could be taken away from you you realize of all the missed opportunities and all the beautiful people that you could have gotten to know better all the things you could have done to give service or to help others so much can be given and done in with us as individuals that we we just don't because we think we're too busy or we have too many responsibilities i remember i mean i don't know if you have time but there was this Go ahead. his son uh, I was watching them play ball one day, and I was thinking how precious that was. And I just enjoyed watching a family spend time together in all the love that was shown between them. I think there's one thing that we all really do need to remember, too. Because of the lifestyles that we live in this modern society and all the responsibilities and everything, we tend to forget that there's some special aspect of self or some special connection with something that's more. Now, people may call it any more, different words, uh, from God to spirit, whatever they might want to call it. That special connection, we get lost in that sometimes. We, we forget it's there. Mm-hmm. And in your life, it, looking through their eyes, they remind you. There is mm-hmm. that, that love, that love and that, that aspect of life that we tend to forget. And with that reminder, we can sort of get back in that connection in our own lives without having to go through the beauty of a of a furry pet showing us. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, the drawback to being a human. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking, oh, there's always tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. Or maybe we, you know, but sometimes we don't always have tomorrow. Um, people always tease me because they say, Alana, how you doing today? And I always say, I'm wonderful. I woke up because the alternative is not too positive. <laughs> and, you, you know, we, we, we really don't. We just take for granted that we will always have tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, woke up. <laughs> I woke up. The alternative is not too pleasant. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, you kind of you touched on it briefly, but, you know, if you had to tell the audience um, now that you've been a pet owner multiple times, uh, what, what, are, what are the benefits? What would you say to convince somebody, you know, you really need to consider having a pet in your life? You'll smile more often. You'll laugh more often. Mm-hmm. Get more exercise. You'll be healthier. <laughs> There's a list. Of, <laughs> you, know, you will have uh, the ability to, when you're sitting at a table talking to your friends, if you don't have anything else to talk about, you can always talk about your pet. They <laughs> 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 might be bored, but it doesn't matter because you're filled with joy and happiness about talking about all the fun things and all the different things that are going on when you and your pet go out or do things together. Uh, you have a reason to bring your dog to the uh, bank teller window because they have <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I could come up with a whole bunch of things. Minor, major. The main thing, as you you know mentioned and we talked about earlier, is that it makes your home and it makes your life full. You have something more than just yourself to think about. And you have, you have to go outside of yourself, and that's when you begin seeing the world in a different way because you're no longer just inside your head. You're actually viewing things through the love and the eyes of your, your pet, your, the, your animal companion, your, whatever you might want, a family member, but also the fact that when you go out there in the world, you begin taking some of that on. You say, oh, empathy, love, all the mm-hmm. things that make you a better human being. And I'm learning that from my pet because I mm-hmm. see that every day. Got you. Now, Real quick, I have a few more minutes, and I want to make sure I cover, because um, I did mention earlier that you have written 15 books, um, and they're about animals, pets. Um, can you kind of cover briefly uh, what some of the books are about or what some of the topics are about or what we will learn or garner from? Well, many of them, angel dogs, angel cats, angel horses, angel animals, they're anthologies of people sharing their stories, their special stories of uh how their pets have helped them during crisis and challenging times and how they became better people because of their relationships and their love of their pets and animals. And some of them are animals in nature. Uh, one book is called Rescue Saving Animals from Disaster, and it, it chronicles the uh, disaster and the animal rescue efforts on the Gulf Coast after Katrina. And that's, okay. that's even used in universities now in some of the classes that are mm. taught on, that, on the top of Cuba what the government is involved in and how people help. It's interesting. All this was going on down there, and everyone was trying to flee the area. And who was going in there to help? The people who love animals want to help mm-hmm. rescuing animals. Going to an area where there's civic unrest and all the violence and problems, but they were going there in their, the, the most noble and, and, and wonderful ways. And we chronicled that and tra- basically chronicled the animal, uh, basically animal rescue movement in the country, not just that, but also around the nation and what was going on in different cities. Uh, saying goodbye for for your angel animals. That's a, a a book about pet loss and and all the traumas that we go through when we lose our our best friend. And we mm. there's a lot of help and helpful hints and ways of of uh, healing and becoming um, 
and and, mem- and having memories, beautiful memories of your pet, and doing the different things that are re- recommended to help heal through that that time when you feel so sad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And all of this is available on um, AngelAnimals.net. Yes, on, it's at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the bookstores. Uh, the new book, A Dog Named Leaf, is about the memoir about me and Leaf as we went through our crisis together and came out on top, and we're both as happy as we can be. <laughs> Good deal, good deal. Like I said, we are so glad that you are here uh, with us today. So uh, before I leave, I want to make sure I let the audience know the best way to contact you would be angelanimals.net, or is there any other way they can reach out for you to get some information on brain aneurysms or pets? Uh, yeah, angelanimals.net, our email is on that website. We have uh, Facebook and Twitter if they wanted to get uh, a Facebook page. We also have a story of the week, a free online newsletter where we share these beautiful stories. Now it's no longer a printed newsletter, but an online newsletter. And they can subscribe to the free gotcha. newsletter and get one weekly of a beautiful story each week. Awesome and amazing. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Alan Anderson. Uh, be sure to visit his website, him and his wife's website angelanimals.net and pick up one of their books uh, alan i thank you for hanging out with me on the show today i want you to make sure you tell leaf that miss lana says hello oh i will i'm going to give him a hug for you <laughs> <laughs> all righty all righty that's all for this week's show i'll be back next week at the same time until then remember when it comes to your dreams the words can't and won't should never slow you down there's always space to change and to grow don't be boxed in live your very best life i am your host lana reed and you can visit my website lana till next time i look forward to connecting with you